0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Hockey Journey Podcast, episode number 35, The Carrie Goulet Hockey Journey, presented to you by OnlineHockeyTraining.com. I'm your host, Coach Lance Pitlick. If you're new here, please make sure you subscribe so you won't miss out on any future episodes. But before we drop the puck and get into the conversation, if you want to learn more about me, my hockey experiences, what I know, and most importantly, how I've been helping hockey players get really good with a stick and puck. just head on over to OnlineHockeyTraining.com and gain instant access to my 10-part video series where I'll show you everything. Consider it my gift to you. My next guest, Carrie Goulet, was born and raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and it was there that he was a star in junior hockey and later in ball hockey. His Winnipeg Grasshoppers represented Manitoba in eight national ball hockey championships, collecting the title in 1985. In 2006, Terry was inducted into the Canadian Ball Hockey Association's Hall of Fame. He credits his experience with Hockey Manitoba and ball hockey with assisting in honing his skills for a successful international hockey career that saw him spend 16 seasons as a player, coach, and general manager with six different teams in the German 1st, 2nd, and 3rd division. His years as a player saw him collect an astounding 1,997 points in 505 games, which earned Goulet the honor of having his jersey, number 29, retired. At the age of 52, he was asked back to his old club in Germany to attempt to collect 2,000 points, which he did with a 5-3 win, contributing a goal and two assists. Carey's coaching record was also sensational, with 312 wins in 452 games. Carey has dedicated much of his office energy to charitable causes, with his main focus on concussions and spinal cord injuries in sport. His motivation behind the cause comes from his former hockey and ball hockey teammate, who suffered a broken neck, leaving him a quadriplegic. One of the lessons learned from his friend Robert's plight, Goulet recalls, it's not what you collect along your journey, Championships, scoring races, trophies, money, cars, but what you give back, that will be your legacy. A motto Carrie has adopted in everyday life post being on the ice. Goulet is one of the founders of StopConcussions.com along with former NHLer Keith Primo. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming Carrie Goulet to the show. Carrie, welcome to the Hockey Journey Podcast.
1: Wow, thanks, Coach Lance. That was fantastic. Thank you for such a a wonderful introduction. Uh, it's, been, it's been a journey, let me tell you.
0: Good, and I'm hoping to tap into that journey as the conversation evolves here. So uh, with all the former players that I have on the show, we want to, start, want to start at the beginning, back when you were a kid. Tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up? When was your introduction to hockey and other sports? I guess give the listeners a snapshot of what it was like growing up. Carrie Goulet.
1: Well, thank you so much. Yeah, you know, it, uh, it's an amazing uh, journey. Uh, it's had its trials and tribulations as we all go through life. Uh, but certainly uh, hockey uh, gave me my, my existence even today at 63 years old. I'm still very active, involved. Uh, some of my injuries are not allowing me to play as well as I used to be kind of slowed down, got a little fat, and that gray hair crept in. But I still love the game. I watch the game. I eat and sleep and drink the game. Even as uh, as these uh, playoffs are being played, I, I wish I could be back out there. But how it all started was I was a young boy, maybe recalling back three or four years old in Winnipeg. My mother was a speed skater. She absolutely loved skating. She had these long blades, and I was so interested in them as a kid I remember uh, I'm one of those guys that love shiny objects and it attracts me and I, I kind of run to them uh, and she said one morning <clears throat> I'm going for a skate would you like to come and they had those uh, you know the two blades on one skate sure, uh, sure. and you strapped onto your boots and she said come on we're gonna take Carrie uh, for his first uh, experience and what happened was I'm living in Winnipeg as you know, Uh, It's pretty cold. And this happened to be, you know, just prior to Christmas, if I recall correctly, a cold wintry day, probably minus 10, maybe even minus 12, maybe even minus 20. And she got me out there and she strapped it on. And my father worked at a shift. So he was usually working um, uh, and sleeping during the day. So she had me out there by herself. Uh, She got the boots and the skates on she had this scarf and she put the scarf around her waist and I held on to the two pieces as she skated and it was outdoor at St. Patel Park, which had a a figure eight, uh, ice surface, kind of a pond and off we went. And that's where I fell in love with the game. Just her skating with these long strides and me holding on for dear life with, I apologize, snot coming out of my nose, my eyes watering with icicles and the breeze just hitting me. Uh, I just knew that was something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And uh, still today, uh, that memory uh, lives on. And, and it is the birth of my hockey career. And those skates, even though they had four blades at the time, then turned into two, uh, became my passport to the world. And it allowed me to travel and see uh, sights that most people don't get the opportunity to do. Through school, I wasn't the greatest student. Uh, my sister, who was the uh, academic, my brother was kind of a geeky, learned about computers. And they gave me a pair of skates, and that's what I became good at. And through that time frame, uh, I battled through school. Uh, the, the the joke is that I got to uh, grade 12 by passing grade 6 twice. Uh, I certainly, <laughs> certainly enjoyed my time in school. And uh, my mother gave me a gift, and the gift was uh, help those that can't help themselves throughout your life it will repay you dividends you just can't get when it comes to money and she said if you have a dollar give 25 cents to the person that doesn't and so i was grown up by that my father was a fantastic man i had a lot of issues in his earlier life uh, with alcohol but cleaned himself up and became one of the most beautiful men in my life Uh, my best friend but it was my mom that gave me this love for hockey. And as I went through my junior career, she was a typical hockey mom, but she kept out of the politics of it. And today we hear about politics in sport. Well, back then when we didn't have video uh, and we didn't have the televisions that we do today, politics played a very big role in you getting spotted by some of the scouts because the scouts couldn't go on TV or go on the internet and find a video of you. They had to physically come and see you So if your coach wasn't a fan of yours or your coach had another agenda, you may not get seen. And so my parents stayed right out of that. And I really didn't understand that till later in my life, that that was what happened to a lot of players that didn't get a chance maybe to play in the National Hockey League. And I'm not here to brag. I'm not here to say I was the best. But I knew that I had the skill level to play close to the National Hockey League. I could certainly skate. That was one of the, the attributes I was given through my mother being a speed skater. Um, but some sometimes people said my feet were too fast for my brain. And it was quoted by a guy named Al Tresser through my uh, youth and through my junior career that I had a million-dollar set of legs and a one-cent brain. And he didn't, he didn't mean it in the sense that, that mean just saying the kid could skate couldn't get the game to come together at all the time and while I was coming up through my my uh, minor league uh, I played at the Winnaqua Community Club outdoors all the time I didn't play indoors till about 12 uh, so you can imagine wow. in January uh, you know at minus 20 in Winnipeg I can remember sitting down in the in the, the hut they called it there were six outdoor arenas outdoor rinks <clears throat> close to the school I went we would go every morning and every, right after school, and I can remember my mom or dad popping over and, you know, warming my feet up, I don't know if you remember those old gray wool socks that went inside of your skates, sure. mine were those tube skates with those white little nipples at the back, and a <laughs> you know, leather skate, <clears throat> your feet froze, and I can remember them rubbing it, and having hot chocolate, <clears throat> and as I developed with Shinny, basically that's what it was, there was 40 people on the ice, and you had to learn how to Uh, As a young kid, you had to learn how to navigate the space. Uh, Because I could skate, that helped me tremendously. And as I grew through my minor hockey league, I had some great coaches. I had some really bad coaches. The good coaches tried to teach me the gold coat. The the bad coaches knew that I could skate. There was another kid named Terry Tatum who was a phenomenal player. We all came up at the same time. And Grant Borger, all very good hockey players. Uh, Bob Herzog. Um, Because I could Skate and stick handle, uh, and so could Terry. They put us together, and we'd have coaches say, pick the puck up behind the net, skate through the team, and score. And we did that because that's what we were taught. We weren't, we weren't puck hogs. We just were better than most of the kids on our team, and that's not slighting anybody we played with. And now looking back, that was probably what damaged my real opportunity to play in the National Hockey League because at an early age, I, I didn't learn the word team. I learned the, ter- team, the term I. Yeah. And so as I went through my, my career, I continued on playing uh, like that. I would pass the puck, don't get me wrong. But if, if I had an opportunity, I would take that extra move that if I wouldn't have taken that extra move and passed it and got the puck back, it probably would have helped myself and the team more. And it was uh, when I started to get closer to junior, I started realizing, you know what, this game is about team and I better learn it quickly. It was about Being tough in those days in 1997, uh, when I was playing for a junior team, the St. Boniface Saints coming through the AAA organization, it, it was needed to be a team player and not just, you know, a puck hog as I was called many times. And so I started to develop that. And the one thing that I didn't learn along the way was to be tough. And people don't understand the word tough. But back in the 1970s with the Broad Street Bullies, You either had to be Wayne Gretzky, Butch Goring, a player that has a specific role if you weren't one of the best, or you had to be tough and you had to be able to command respect through your fists. And I never was taught that and I didn't know how to be tough. And so as I went through my St. Boniface AAA, I was a target as most of the players that were your leaders People went after you. They tried to hurt you because if they knocked you or Terry Tatum or other goal scorers on our team out, they would have a better chance to win. It's true to fact that that's how we played back then. Uh, A lot of players took liberties on me because they knew I wouldn't hit back. And uh, that was kind of a downfall. I didn't jump in the gym and build an upper body. Uh, I just had strong legs, and they carried me throughout my career. Uh, Once I got to the junior level, things changed rapidly because it it, it became very evident that I needed to toughen up. So here I was without, my mother never pushed me. She allowed me to be me. My dad wasn't a a hockey dad. He worked for the CNR. Um, We didn't see much of him. She drove me every morning at seven o'clock in the morning to my practices in the early days outdoors, in the late days at the Maginot Arena uh, indoors. And that love of the game, overwhelmed everything else, any criticisms I took. And my mom was my biggest supporter. My dad loved me and obviously wanted me to do well. But as it came, I was mummy's boy, which was not fair because my mom was my inspiration to the game. And so she she carried my bag. She rubbed my feet when I needed. She wiped the tears when I was sad. And I'm, I'm I owe a great gratitude and debt to her. She's no longer with us. But nobody could criticize me. She would be my biggest ally. Um, that sometimes got in the way in the sense that people became, then thought maybe I was just a mummy's boy, but I was not. I paid respect to my parents. They gave me a great life. Uh, we struggled as kids financially, but they gave me the opportunity to see the world through my skates. And as I moved into the junior ranks, jealousies, uh coaches, that maybe had other agendas, who had other kids that he liked maybe more, or he had a son on the team. We saw that develop and create uh, uh, issues with my career. And I'm not blaming anybody. I don't look back and say he cost me my career in the National Hockey League I owned it. I owned the fact that I should have been better prepared. It wasn't like what we got now, uh, Coach Lance, where you've got guys like yourself, you know, leading the way and getting kids prepared. And this is what you need to do and guidance and go on the Google and, and find out a a skating coach, which I didn't need. I needed I needed a hockey coach. I needed somebody to take me and say, your raw talent, if we do this with it, can go here. But we didn't have that ability and my parents didn't give me that. So as I went through junior Uh, I got on with the Junior, uh, Winnipeg Junior Clubs, which was under the Winnipeg Jets at the time. Uh, I had a lot of promise. A lot of people were talking about Terry Tadden, Bob Herzog, myself, and a couple of other guys have the ability maybe to play in the National Hockey League. And of course, we all took it to, uh, you know, we played the big role back then. I'm going to play in the National Hockey League. And in 1978 was my draft year. And i had had a really good uh, year with uh, the Winnipeg uh, Monarchs. Uh, I bounced around a little bit with the Junior Saints and then went to the Monarchs, uh, played with Ralph Kruger. If you know that name, he was on my line, oh, yeah. uh, an incredible player, a coach and and general manager throughout his career. And we just tore it up and we got noticed and I got a chance to go to the big club, the Winnipeg uh, clubs. And I was 17, very young. And then the draft came and there was a, a guy named Fran Huck. He had saw me play. Fran had played for the national team. He was an unbelievable player, played in the WHA and the Winnipeg Jets, uh, had, had uh, uh, some time in the National Hockey League. And Fran turned uh, to a lawyer agent and said, listen, Kerry, I, I want to represent. I think you have the ability to play in the National Hockey League uh, and let me, do some- let me do some talking. So he we went to, at that time in 1978, the Winnipeg Jets were transitioning from the WHA to the uh, NHL. And if you recall, the WHA Winnipeg Jets had arguably the greatest line of all times, uh, Bobby Hall, Ulf Nielsen, and Anders Hedberg. And I just loved, I loved and idolized the way they played because everybody in those days were up and down the boards. The wingers stayed on the wing. The centerman controlled the game from the middle. And you bashed and crashed, dump it in and all that sort of stuff. But they revolutionized the game where the the left winger wasn't a left winger. He was a right winger and a centerman because they would transition from side to side and one would play on his off wing and and they were everywhere and anywhere, almost like Rover in 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 soccer. And I loved that and I followed that. So I got tagged while I played like that to be undisciplined because I was a left winger. I played on the right side because it opened my shot up. I would be on the left side a lot and then I would be in the middle and then I'd be... And so it became the term Goulet was an undisciplined player. But I was i was just watching three of the best players ever to play the game. But back then, you knew your role up and down the wings, and I didn't conform to that. So as Fran had talked to uh, John Ferguson, Sr., who was taking over the general management duties for the Winnipeg Jets back in 1979, he said, listen, Fran, if he doesn't get uh, drafted, We'll take a look at him. He's hometown, hometown grown. We'll certainly give him an opportunity to come. In those days, it was like a walk-on uh, opportunity, yeah. uh, kind of a pre-rookie camp is what they called it. And I got lucky to get a letter from John Ferguson Sr. It hangs up in my my den now uh, with the Winnipeg Jets logo. And we, uh, we will definitely take a peek at you if you don't get drafted. We'd love to invite you out to camp. Uh, signed, John Ferguson Sr., who, if people don't know, I know you know, was arguably one of the toughest players back in the '60s and '70s, and uh, a true heart and soul type of guy. So I didn't get drafted. I got invited to what was called the pre-rookie camp in in uh, at the Winnipeg Arena. It was a two-day camp, and I thought I would go there and show my skill and get an opportunity to make the team. But unfortunately, the the the, the two-day camp. Was more about them finding that guy, the diamond in the rough, that was just absolutely beyond everybody else, or tougher than nails. Yeah, and I wasn't either. And so after the camp was done, I bet, I think I had six fights. I was old for six, <laughs> beat, up, beat up pretty bad. Uh, you know, I was more of a Zamboni than an actual player. I ragdolled a few times, and. I got the call in, and this is what amazed me about John Ferguson, Jr., Sr., sorry. He didn't need to even talk to us. He could have just cut us and said you were gone, but he called every guy in, and I got to sit in front of John Ferguson, Sr., and it happened to be with Fran Huck, and he said, "Uh, Kerry, I got to tell you, you can skate. There's no doubt about it, but I am just want to let you know, we just don't feel you're tough enough to play in the National Hockey League right now. We'd send you down. Uh, but we think you need to go and get tough. And when a young man hears that, I had no idea what he meant being tough. I left the room bawling my eyes out, knowing that that was my shot. I may never get to the National Hockey League. And I won't bore you with all the details because it really gets, uh, it's a long story. But I bounced around not realizing that my career wasn't done. So I played as everybody did. I finished my junior career, played for the St. Boniface Riel's ended up winning the scoring champ in Tier 2, uh, and then finished off uh, and joined the senior loop. And back in those days in Manitoba, they had what's called the Cash League, the Central Senior Hockey League. And it was really good hockey because they were all playing for what's called the Allen Cup. And uh, the Allen Cup was a prestigious cup back in you know the forties, 20s and 40s before the Stanley Cup came uh, and was presented to the National Hockey through through Lord Stanley Wow. And a lot of senior teams played for that cup, Lance. Um and I got a chance to play for the uh Saint Boniface Mohawks and then later with the Saint Boniface uh sorry, the Saint James Flames. We almost went to the Allen Cup final, played on the line with a guy named Danny Bonner, uh really good hockey player, he's our player coach, played for LA Kings, played with Gretzky, and then my other line mate was Bobby Hall junior. <laughs> Bobby Hull yeah. Wow. Bobby Hall Jr. could shoot the puck. I'll tell you what, just like his father, just couldn't skate like him. So we tore it up together. I won the scoring race that year with a slap shot off my ass, actually, from Bobby Hall Jr. And Bobby Hall Sr. was in the crowd. And he came into the room after winning it and actually signed. I had the old Christian 1000, the wood stick with the big Bobby Hall hook on it. And that's another claim to fame, a piece of memorabilia that I'm so blessed to have signed by Bobby Hall, Jr. senior, but in ballpoint pen, which is really kind of a classic. And then that's when the dream became a reality. Uh, I went from the St. James flames. Uh, and while I was doing that, uh, Coach Lance, I was actually I owned a nightclub in Winnipeg in 1982. I finished my dream of playing in the National Hockey League. Was then playing for the Senior Loop, uh, knowing that I would stay in Winnipeg, but I could still pay, play a high level hockey. And I I got involved with a nightclub, the first dance club called uh, Fridays in Winnipeg in 1982, and it was just it boomed. I got really lucky, made a little bit of money, got to play hockey at a very high level. And then once I realized that um, I had done all I could, I got an a- opportunity to go to Thunder Bay to play for the Thunder Bay Twins. And if you look back in history, they'd already won three Allen Cups. And I had a chance to vie for four for them, which would have been a record. Wow. And I sold, I sold my interest in the club and got involved with a guy named Dick Davidson who owned a club in Thunder Bay called Club Soda, I got a piece of the action and I got to continue on playing what was pro hockey. We made a, you know, a snippet, very limited amount of money, but it was fantastic enough. And I got to run another club in Thunder Bay and that's when I got the opportunity to win the Allen cup. And that then propelled me to get an opportunity to play pro hockey in Germany.
0: Awesome. Well, man, are you, uh, do you need to take a breath here? That was, that was Awesome. Before we move on to, to Germany, um, I want. As a kid, you played for the Winnipeg Grasshoppers, uh, <laughs> represented Manitoba in eight national ball hockey championships, collecting a title in 1985. In 2006, you were inducted into the Canadian Ball Hockey Association's Hall of Fame. Now, ball hockey wasn't a thing in Minnesota when I grew up. I think I remember playing ball hockey. Uh, Friday nights at the YMCA with anyone who showed up uh, in some big gymnasium hall of fame is ball hockey still a growing sport in Canada
1: I wouldn't say it was a growing sport but uh that was the sport that we choose all the hockey players our team was made of hockey players uh rather than guys that had not played because it's a sport where you know it was a summer sport everybody played it when the ice was out and uh Art Wadenabe was no longer with this. uh, uh, It was the year of the Grasshoppers when he formed the team, and that's how we got called the Winnipeg Grasshoppers because a lot of people ask us that question. And Art Wadenabe was Japanese and could fly, like this kid could run faster than anybody on skates. And he he put together a, a cast and crew of really good hockey players, and we played all together. The Winnipeg Grasshoppers were the only team that came out of Manitoba that eight years in a row And it was always the same dudes. And uh, I got blessed. I got played with a guy named Mark McKay. Uh, I got later in life, I got to play with him in Germany. I'll tell you that story in a few seconds. But I got to play ball hockey with this guy. And he was one of the best players I'd ever played with. He was a small structure, but he just, he and I would fight at chess. Like he just so competitive. Uh, You couldn't play checkers with the dude. Like they're being all Mm over all. And so. He just taught me how to win. He he was one of those winners And not that I wasn't a winner. I just I, I never I never paid the price to win all the time, and he certainly taught me that. Um, and that team uh, went on to win uh, the uh, the championship uh, in Winnipeg. Uh, Joe Piscucci and uh, a bunch of guys uh, had announced it, and I got lucky to get, as you mentioned, uh, inducted in the Boc- ball hockey Hall of Fame. The game still lives on. It's kind of tapered off a little bit. They have worlds now. We didn't get a chance to go to the worlds. Uh, it's played in all the provinces now. Back then, you know, Saskatchewan didn't play it. They had big teams out of the out of the east uh, in Nova Scotia. Had some great teams. A lot in Quebec. Huge in Mont- in, in Tor- the, on Toronto. The Ontario. But everybody was in Toronto. The Mats Clamato team was just uh, studs. And then a little bit in Alberta and BC. Now it's played wherever, all over the world. And I got really lucky when I played ball hockey. It just made me a better hockey player. I got to, you know, do the stick handling, what they do now with a ball. I got to do that and while well, playing and getting in shape. Yeah. So it was a perfect game. Without ball hockey, I may never have had the European experience that I had. And I just want to... I, I got to tell this story because it's the funniest story in my life when it comes to uh, ball hockey and then going off to play in Europe. Uh, I just met my girlfriend uh, in 2004. Obviously, I, I was back in Germany. I was kind of a, somewhat a big thing back home in Canada. I was like a you know a, a a grind of salt in the bottom of the salt shaker. Nobody really knew who I was, um, and I came back at uh, 41. I didn't have much of a a resume, didn't have a job. Uh, I, I was forced to come back. My father had passed from prostate cancer. Uh, his funeral was September, the se- uh, uh, sorry, he passed September the 7th, 2001. I still at 40 was playing it as a non-import. So I still had a three-year deal on my, uh, my contract. Unfortunately, uh, my father passed at that time and his funeral was September the 12th, 2001. I still had a flight ticket booked. To go back on September the 13th, the team was very accommodating. Um, And unfortunately, we got hit with September 11th, uh, 2001. And my career was instantly, I was instantly retired. Uh, I couldn't leave my mom. There was a no-fly zone. The team needed somebody instantly to replace me because obviously it was difficult at that time because the season had already started. So I was retired. So as life went on, I started to figure out what to do. Looked at my resume. It was only hockey. What was I going to do with life? And I met a guy named Barry Monroe, who from the Canadian uh, American Spinal Research Organization. And you mentioned the name Robert Belfour, who broke his neck when I was 17. And he taught me the very valuable lesson, which you wrote, uh, read very eloquently, um, that it's not what you collect along the way in your journey. It's what you give back. So I did all the golf tournaments for for Robert. As you know, when you have a buddy that's going through that plight, I got to understand what Ronald McDonald's house was, which would later play a role in my life. Um, and it was a learning experience. I, lo- I was taught that word tough. Robert was tough. Every day he would wake up and he couldn't move from the neck down, but never complained. And he inspired me to do greater things. He taught me a very valuable lesson in the sense that never give up. Uh, he never complained, though he couldn't move anything below his neck. Uh, he lived life. He smiled every time I went to see him, and so that really formed my future. And when I got the call for the and it comes forward to the ball hockey hall of fame, I got the call uh, from Maro kujiji who ran the uh, Canadian Ball Hockey Association, got me on the phone and said, uh, "Kerry Goulet, yes, uh, you played for the Winnipeg Grasshopper, yes." He said, "Listen, I want to inform you, you will be." our new induction, your new, our new inductee to the Canadian Ball Hockey Hall of Fame. And I, I, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, Tony, who now is my wife, uh, it was uh, two years into our relationship. So I was trying to teach her that I, I was a big deal over in Germany. And she never believed the shout I was full of crap. And um, I hold the phone and I said, Tony, you're not going to believe this. I've just been elected into the Canadian Ball Hockey Hall of Fame did you put somebody up to this? Like, is this a joke? And she said, no, I know nothing about it. So I went back on the phone. I said, "Mario, really? Thank you. I didn't even know there was a Ball Hockey Hall of Fame. Is it in somebody's garage? Just joking and saying that. And he said, no, no, Kerry, this is the real deal. You're going to be inducted in the Canadian Ball Hockey Hall of Fame this summer in Montreal. It's a business casual event. So you can invite two other guests. My father was gone by that time. So I figured, okay, I'd invite my wife or my girlfriend at the time, and my mother, who was a big, huge, she followed the team. She actually ran the ball hockey team with my brother. Um, and so off we went to Montreal. I got a tuxedo because I'm kind of a show-off. I wanted to walk out there and pretend I was somebody Do to... My wife, my girlfriend bought a brand-new dress. Uh, my mother ought to, picked one of her fancy dresses out of the, the closet. We get to Montreal. They pick us up in a limo, take us to the to the hotel. We all feel, wow, this is amazing. And then later, the next day, they picked us up again in a limo, and they drove us to a, a hockey rink. And I'm thinking, okay, we're just popping in maybe to watch a few things. And I'm I'm duded up in this, you know, the, the penguin outfit. They, they say, listen, uh, Carrie, you've got to go into this back room. It was kind of like a green room, you know, where you, you're thinking – Maybe they're going to interview me, and I'm with a couple. And there's a couple other guys there, and they're just dressed like blue jeans and a, a golf shirt. <laughs> it hasn't kicked in yet. And all of a sudden, they say, listen, uh, Carrie, your girlfriend and your your mother, we have a special table for them. Uh, they're going to come up. And I said, well, what's going on? You're being inducted now. I said, "We're at a, we're at a rink. So he said, Yeah, yeah, this is where we're doing the induction. So my mom my mom and Tony go out to the front. I don't see them. They call the first two guys. One was a builder and one was can't remember why he was being inducted. And then they called me out. And I've got a I don't it's not an ego, but I'm a show guy. I walk out there strutting in my tuxedo and Coach Lance, it is in a rink like a banquet hall. And I look around, it's picnic tables with those red and white uh, plastic uh, covers for the tables, paper plates, plastic knives and forks. They've got me standing up in in front of everybody that's probably just finished playing a ball hockey game and sweating. They're in sweats, they're in shorts. Uh, Some are not even wearing shirts. And here's my mom and my girlfriend dressed up with ball gowns and me up there the monkey suit and it was the most hilarious thing it was uh they later they later apologized and redid the induction the year later and they told me it was business casual so I didn't show up quite the same but it was just one of those moments where yeah it could have been in a garage so uh it was amazing and ball hockey along with losing Robert Belfort a few years ago uh was, was memories that you, you money can't buy
0: A quick word from our sponsor, Sniper's Edge Hockey. Sniper's Edge Hockey is your one-stop shop for your at-home hockey training needs on and off the ice. Find the perfect start to your at-home training area with slick tiles, synthetic ice, or a rink liner. Or, upgrade your home setup with one of our top quality training tools to help you work on soft hands, all of your deeks and dangles, perfect your one-timer, and improve the power and accuracy of your shot. Find it all online and in stock for immediate shipping at
1: snipersedgehockey.com.
0: So you end up turning pro and head over to Germany for 16 seasons where you played in 506 games. The last one was at age 52, which saw you collect a goal and an assist, like I read in the introduction, to give you 2,000 career points. You also had a solid coaching career with 312 wins and 452 games. Your jersey, number 29, was also retired. First thing that pops into my head is I want to go over there and party with you because you must have been a rock star. Paint the picture (laughs) for me what that was like being on that experience because did you ever have a game that you didn't get a point?
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Stats can be misleading. Uh, you got to remember – I'll take you back quickly to the Thunder Bay Twins winning the Allen Cup, going back to the bar I'd mentioned in 1988 uh, with the boys drinking out of the cup and Burton Cummings and McLean and McLean were actually playing in our bar that night. So I got to drink, sip out of the Allen Cup with Burton Cummings. If you don't know, I know you know, but if you didn't know who he was, he was the lead singer for the Guess Who, which was arguably American Woman. Yeah. Just an incredible band. And that morning after the party was over, I was sitting in my office the next day in, in, in club soda uh, and the phone rang and it was a guy named Luke Nielsen. And Luke had a, a, an accent. I didn't know at that time it was a Dutch accent, but he said, Hey, listen, Carrie, I just saw you play in the Allen cup finals. It was in Thunder Bay. And uh, I'm an agent out of uh, Amsterdam. I've got a great opportunity for you. I just love the way you play. You're a showman you can skate. Uh, I've got an, I got a team in Five Scotland I'd be very interested for you to come and play, they don't have money for a, a former NHLer or somebody that's playing at a, a higher level than what you're playing, but you're perfect. You, 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 sh- you know, you score a goal. You're not overly boisterous about it, but you know, you let people know you scored and that, you know, all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I took every goal, every assist as an accomplishment. I, I didn't overwhelm it. But listen, I wanted that puck when it was three-two. Sure, you could score a hat trick in a game that's seven-one, but I wanted to be that guy that scored that winner and have the fans go crazy. So I, you know, I was so excited. And that time I was, I had a girlfriend at Thunder Bay. Uh, I'll just leave it at Veronica, and she loved loved me dearly and wanted uh, to spend the rest of her life with uh, her life with me. There's, a, I knew that, and uh, we had a good life in Thunder Bay, um, and. The, the, the logging to play pro hockey was still there. I was 27 years old at the time. And uh, I just said, wow, I'm getting an opportunity to play pro hockey in a different country that I, I won't even be able to speak the language. And then it kicked in. Well, no, no, that's not the case. It's only uh, five Scotland. They do speak English there. So I said, okay, Luke, let me talk to my girlfriend. I'll get back to you tomorrow. He said, yeah, no problem. So I went home just with pea and vinegar, ecstatic. I made it. I finally made it to be what's called a real pro hockey because the senior loop was still amateur, as they called it. Got home, saw Veronica, and I told her, I got an opportunity. We can go to Fife, Scotland and play hockey. And it's not great money, but I got a chance to play um, golf on St. Andrews, the main main course, once a month. And I could play on the practice course uh, once a week. Uh, who, who wouldn't want to do that? And that's when the 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 uh, reality kicked in, and she said, "Carrie, you're 27. Uh, I want to start a family. I want to do it with you. Uh, I'm I'm I have a twin sister who is there. I have only one my mother's left, and I don't want to leave them. So I don't want to do this at this time frame of my life. I said, but Veronica, it's the first time I've ever. No, I I I just think you and I should settle. You got a great opportunity here. And so she convinced me not to take it. So I phoned Luke the next day and said, hey, Luke, but sorry, uh, my wife uh, has just, or sorry, my girlfriend at the time, she just, I can't do it. I can't leave her. And so he said, hey, no, no worries. Uh, see you later. And I it, I was torn um, and sad wow. for about two weeks. And would you not know that three weeks later the phone rings Luke Nielsen back in Holland said, "Okay, listen. I Found a team that you can't say no to. It's a fourth division team in Germany. It's on the the um, border of Holland and Belgium, and it's it's just outside of Cologne. It's you. And don't forget, this is now uh, still the Cold War. It was 1988 before the wall came down. And I said, okay." Talked to me about it. They said, "Listen, they can't afford to have, uh, a, you know, a pro player." But I, do, you're going to tear this. You're going to love it. And then because it was German and it was kind of romantic, I just thought this was going to be a heck of a sell to Veronica. So off I went to do my job and sat her down and said, "Okay, listen, I got this opportunity to go to Germany. Uh, here's where it's at." And she looked at me and said, "I told you no once, carrie I, I, I don't want to go." So you've got to make a very hard decision here. You're going to stay here and we're going to continue on a life together, or you've got to choose hockey. And it took me about three minutes. I, I didn't cry. There was no emotions on the relationship side. And I actually said to her, can you pack my bags, put it in the trunk, because I'm going. And I left. And um, uh, she didn't come with me until later. Uh, she came after Christmas Absolutely hate it and went back home. And she could have forced me to quit, but I didn't. And I went off to Germany and that's how I got started. It was a great, great life. On um, November the 12th, 1989, a lot of people may not remember it. Um, it was when the Berlin Wall fell. And I was there when the wall fell. I was in Berlin no, watching really. this historic moment and wow. got the opportunity to bring pieces of the wall back. And that's where I went back to think, you know, I got to grade 12 and passed grade 6 twice. I was now worldly. I was seeing things that most people never got a chance to see and that's because of my skates and that's because of hockey and that's because of ball hockey. And that's because of Robert Belfort keeping that dream alive and, and getting that call from Luke Nielsen. I owe him everything. And that's where I got the opportunity to become a player, uh, played in the fourth division, which would be kind of like the SPHL Federal Hockey League, uh, not the greatest league in the world, but certainly entertaining and Coach Lance, that's when I learned what tough was. I never knew it until then. They knocked the garbage out of me because you're only allowed two imports. And the other import was Joseph Chastik. He was a Polish National League team player. And if you had any talent, the other 20 Germans that were playing on the other team were out trying to knock you out of the game. <laughs> I learned how to be tough because if I didn't, I would end. I learned tough not only physically, but mentally. Uh, if you I'm sure you know it. If you didn't perform there, if you missed a couple of weekends, you didn't put a point up, you are probably be in Santome because there's somebody else coming to take your place. Right. Well, those first two years, Joseph and I uh, just tore the tore the leagues up. It was ridiculous how many points we would put together. I had a lot of great. German players that helped me go through it. I, I broke scoring records and all that sort of garble. Not even thinking about it. It wasn't. I wasn't doing it because I want. You know, I was wanted any glory. I did it because every you at twelve one. If I went on a breakaway and, you know, put it in the corner, I'd get booed. They wanted goals because every time you scored a goal. They would drink a bottle, uh, a little uh, bottle of schnapps. <laughs> and it was a party time. I don't know if you've ever seen a game, Coach Lance, where it's European hockey fans are converted soccer fans. So my first practice was the funniest thing. I get there. It's the next day. Right after it's going to be the press conference. I our dressing our rink was a hole. Like it held maybe twelve hundred people, and and the dressing rooms were downstairs. And our dressing room was three dressing rooms, so you could only dress a, a, a third of the team in one room, a third, a third, because it was a converted hockey rink into a ball or a inline hockey rink. So I get down in the dressing room, and I you know I had the Jofa helmet, and I had this shirt tucked in, thinking I was to Smith. <laughs> We come up, Joseph looked like a Yari Curry type dude. We come upstairs, all the guys go out. The place is full. This is my first practice. The place is jam-packed. So I'm thinking, they came to see me. And my nickname's Gooch, so everybody picked up on it really quickly. And so we we get out there and, you know, we're doing the drills and people are clapping and all of a sudden, song breaks out, drums are starting to go, and one – One row is going left. The other row is going right. We score a goal. Confetti's being going, The drums are going. Horns are blaring. blaring. And I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. They came to see Joseph and I. So after the practice was done, I got downstairs. Luke, my agent, was there. He said, "Gucci, we were having a a quick press conference. Come on upstairs. So we go upstairs. The place is jammed. There's cameras and people all over the place. Now, this is only a fourth-degree, fourth-division team, so – I wasn't expecting all this fanfare. And they introduced Joseph. But because Joseph was a European, he wasn't as attractive as this crazy Canadian. So I was the the, the the show. They get me up there. They start saying a bunch of stuff, giving me a bunch of accolades. I couldn't understand it because it was in German. And Luke could speak both languages. And as they were saying things, I heard Kerry Goulet, Calgary Flames, Kerry Goulet, American, Americanish. And all these things, uh, 56 games in the National Hockey League, and I'm thinking, hang on a second. (laughs) That's not me. And so I turned to Luke and I said, Luke, I'm hearing words that don't match who I am. He said, just go along with it. I said, but just go along with it. So I get up there and ask me questions. They're English. you got to remember, it's 1988. They only had MTV and and a couple of chicks and CNN. Those were the two channels you got over there in English. So not a lot of people could speak English. So people would use me as their teacher. They would all try and use his broken English. So the press conference was a mishmash of languages. And so they would say a thing, and I'd say, I'd just nod my head. I'd look to Luke, and he'd just, yeah. And so i just say, yeah, to everything. And the next morning, I still got the paper clipping. It's crazy. Carrie Goulet uh, played for the Calgary Flames an American who was lights out in the National Hockey League. It was all bullshit. Like I didn't <laughs> – it wasn't me that did it. And I never lived that down because a lot of people knew I was from Winnipeg, never made the NHL, came through the Winnipeg Jets. So it was kind of my first lesson learning that the fans just want you to get the shovel out, and they just want to be entertained. And I learned that quickly in that time frame. And so after the two years, uh, you know, understanding how to play the game – understanding the bigger ice surface because I could skate. It it was actually very beneficial to me because I could do things that, you know, a guy that maybe struggled a little bit with skating. A lot of guys went over there and were sent home uh, that maybe were way better than I was, but they just didn't learn how to play the game. And because I was in the nightclub business, I learned how to control alcohol because you get over there and everybody's drinking beer. You're drinking beer at 8 o'clock in the morning. You go into a bar, didn't start till 1, and you're coming home at 8 o'clock in the morning. And you knew you had to perform because if you didn't perform, you were sent home. So I I was blessed that I was a little older and understood the game and understood that my role was to make sure that I entertained the fans. And that entertainment was not only scoring goals or, or, uh, or winning, but it was always also taking time out to sign every autograph known to man. And so I loved it. I just, I ate it up. And after my second year, I got a call from a team that I played against many times. It was called Timmendorfer Strand. It's on the Baltic Sea, just north of Hamburg. It's a beach resort, 7,500 in the winter, uh, 150,000 in the summer. Oh, and wow. I, I lucked out. Man, did I luck out. But the crazy thing about it was they wanted me to be the player coach in the third division. And I'd never coached before at that time. And that's how I started my coaching career. I actually, my numbers are only as a player coach. I never sat behind, I never stood behind a bench. I always was a player coach, which is crazy when I look back. Um, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, crazy story. And uh, I got lucky, but unfortunately, and so it's two tales, it's two journeys. The hockey career went on and you could see the numbers and everybody thinks it's fantastic. But my first game in Eschweiler, Wearing the Jopa helmet, I beat a defenseman. It was my first exhibition game. I'd already had three goals. Um, and jo- Joseph, I think, already had four. Like, we're beating this team pretty handily. Uh, I came around a defenseman just by the dot. And I was flying, and the guy, the defenseman, took my feet out. And I was opening up to take a shot, and he took my feet out. And I slid into the boards. And thank God they say that I turned my net, my head. Instead of going head first, I hit my shoulder first and then my head. And that's where my life with concussions came to be uh, my saving grace. Uh, I could have broken my neck like my buddy did many years ago, uh, but I didn't. I ended up in a hospital. Um, They say I was knocked out. The ambulance whipped me to the hospital. And um, that's when uh, the trials and tribulations of a concussion uh, started. Uh, And somebody would say, wow, that's really negative. It actually was something that gave me a life after hockey. So this negative turned out to be probably one of my biggest lesson learning in life and giving me an opportunity to do better and be better and understand hockey is only a game. There's people that struggle every day just to breathe or, uh, we, we fight which golf course to go to or what restaurant and these people are just trying to stay alive. Uh, and so it was a great lesson. Uh, but I, I struggled, uh, hurt my shoulder. My mother was coming in from uh, Winnipeg at the time, arriving in Amsterdam, and uh, she was arriving on the Thursday, and I was knocked out on the sa- Sunday game, and I left the hospital on Wednesday. Even though they wanted to keep me in, I chose not to stay, and I had to drive to uh, Shiphold, which is a two-hour drive from where I was living at the time in Eschweiler. Um, and I knew there was something wrong. I could feel the fogginess. I could feel the, the issues. I had a sore shoulder, But I could feel when I'd woken up from this injury, I had five German doctors standing over to me, all speaking German in medicine. And all I could hear was shoulder, 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 which was shoulder. Nobody spoke about my head. And so as I was driving, I I knew there was something wrong, but I, you know what, I was, I wasn't going to let anybody know. Picked my mom up drove back home and never went back to the hospital and continued on playing. And they played every Friday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday. And that went on for a couple of years. Um, and uh, the summer of 1990, it was actually February 1990, driving on the Autobahn, um, it, uh, my girlfriend at the time, um, I, I, it looked like I was having a heart attack. We were going a couple of hundred, miles, a couple of hundred kilometers an hour on the Autobahn because they gave me a fancy sport car and I thought I was a rock star. Um, my eyes rolled back in my head, she said. And I kind of swerved. We got off to the side of the road. She jumped out of the passenger seat. I got out of the driver's seat. My knees buckled. She dragged me into the driver's passenger seat. We raced back to my city of Eschweiler. And because I was a Canadian playing hockey, sports star to them, I I was given the red carpet treatment, Coach Lance. And uh, they did every test known to man. Um, And they couldn't find anything. They they just – I had tubes stuck in me like everywhere. And they found nothing. And so I continued on playing after that, never missed a game. And I came home in late March, and that's when the hell broke, broke loose. I went into depression, uh, went into a psychiatric ward for a week. Uh, I was doing things that weren't normal. Um, and uh, it was a tough time for me. I was put in a, a hospital uh, ward at the Greats Hospital. My doctor was Dr. Armstrong. And they basically did everything to understand what I was going through. And they finally realized I had been concussed and I didn't deal with it properly. And this was kind of the aftermath. It was 18 months after the actual injury that came back and reared its ugly head. And I went through major depression that, 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 that summer. They threw me on a, a, a drug uh, to keep me sane and, and relevant oh, wow. and, and walking through it. But nobody really diagnosed it properly as a concussion. And, and uh, I went through suicidal thoughts, not ever attempting it, dreaming of it, seeing people killing themselves in their, in their, in their, you know, in their life, Uh, walking by a knife drawer and seeing the knife and visualizing things. And that's when they knew they had to put me on a drug. But what's absolutely incredible is that doctor said, I need to get you back. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get you. I'm a psychiatrist. You don't need me. You need a psychotherapist to get you through whatever you're going through. It's depression. And I'm thinking I'm 30 years old. My parents couldn't believe I was depressed. I couldn't believe I was depressed. I'm playing hockey. I'm driving sports cars. I'm making money. Uh, People are chanting my name. How can I be depressed? But it was because of the concussion. We didn't deal with it properly. So off I went. My father actually flew me home, flew me to Germany in August. Uh, It was my first coaching job in Timmendorfer Strand, um, he basically had to babysit me. Coach Lance, you saw me on the ice. You would have not known there were any issues. i get off the ice, couldn't wet my bum. And my dad was there to put me, to pick me through it. And those drugs numb me like I was numb. But it allowed me to do what I needed to do. It was instinctive what to do when I played hockey. I didn't have to think about it. Getting off the ice, I'd have to think about my day. He babysat me for the first month. Met a girl there after my girlfriend had left me in Canada and my mother couldn't come at that particular moment. So my dad basically babysat me. I met a girl and the team doctor and the general manager and my co-coach were the only people that knew I was having issues. We threw away the drugs and Dr. Willie Rocker and my girlfriend at the time, Alexa Capacci, and my dad kept me sane, got me through it. We went, I think it was three and 17, three and 12 in the beginning of that time frame. Uh, obviously the management team wasn't very happy because the team wasn't playing great. I couldn't speak German. I had five guys that were from the East German. they knew no English, nobody understood what was going on. We had a very talented team. but things weren't just going well but our first line myself, Marvin Glazer and a guy named uh, Perry Fafard, were tearing the league up. so it was really tough for them to to get rid of me because I was playing great as an import. But we were at home. Uh, it would be, I think, our 12th loss. Uh, and people were screaming and yelling and throwing pennies at me and throwing little plastic bottles at me as I was coming off my own rink. And, of course, that was a Sunday night. And I knew uh, that my job was in jeopardy. got called up on the Wednesday or on the Monday. Management said, listen, Carrie, we, we, we the sponsors are all over us. Uh, we, you know, we got full sold out rinks here uh the fans are are calling for your head so we are going to have to make a coaching change uh you can stay on as a player until we can find a replacement but uh <clears throat> excuse me on Friday's game we're going to the first place team we're in last place we need a direction change here so um we apologize but you will not be coaching uh come Friday but you'll continue on playing <clears throat> and thank god my dad was there if I wasn't depressed at that moment <laughs> and needed drugs I certainly did at that moment, but my dad and my girlfriend uh, babied me through it. Wednesday came, they couldn't find a replacement as a coach. Thursday came, they asked me to come back for, I was playing, they asked me on Thursday night, listen, Kerry, we need you to coach over the weekend with the co-coach uh, and we'll deal with it next week. So I went in the dressing room on the Thursday and I said, guys, we all know that I'm gone as a coach. I may have be gone as a player. I just want to say to you, thank you for what you did. I don't know what I did wrong, but I was, what happened, Coach Lance, I was being a player first and not a coach. So I was being their buddy. So I'd be saying to them, guys, you can't make this mistake. And then I would go up and play and I'd make that mistake. Right. So I wasn't really teaching them how to be a team and stuff. I was great as a player, but I wasn't really coaching the way a coach and a lot of, op, you know, a lot of obligations being both. And I can't speak the language very well. So I basically said goodbye as a coach that night. And uh, that, that next day, uh, we showed up at the bus. We usually had two busfuls of, of fans travel. It was about a three-hour bus ride going into a very hostile place um, called Nordhorn. Four or 5,000 fans. We get in the rink. No, no fans came with us. None of the sponsors came. Our stick boys didn't even come. That's how everybody was thinking we were going to get crushed. So my dad actually had to act as a a stick boy. Long story short, we get to the game. There's signs, Goulet Rouse, meaning Goulet's out. They're singing, enjoy Canada. It was really bizarre. And I get in the dressing room before the game, and I said, obviously, they don't like me, Uh, guys. I really apologize for that. And the captain, Marvin Glazer, said, Kerry, can you leave the room for a second? I apologize, a little emotional, but uh, uh, Marvin said, uh, I I need to talk to the team. I walked out of the room. I don't know what was said in that particular conversation, but I came back in a room that was showing love. And uh, without that moment, I probably would have been on a plane home in a couple of weeks. When we went into that game, a whole different team. I had changed nothing other than knowing that I was gone. My dad was a stick boy. Yeah. Uh, and opening the gate. And my co-coach, Eric Dietrich, who wasn't playing, of course, was one of my best friends at the time. Only a short time frame because I had not known him very long. And we went up one nothing in the first, two nothing in the three nothing. We're up four nothing. I can't explain it. Nobody can explain it. The place is just booing, and it was it was bedlam. And there was a guy. His name was Justin Pecca from Toronto. Here also, he was playing for Nordhorn, and he couldn't describe it. After we had a beer after the game, as the game went on, it became four one, four two, going into the third, four oh. three, and in the dying moments. I had kind of a – they had pulled the goalie. We won the draw, came to my stick. I just stepped over the blue line and took a shot for an empty net. It would have made it 5-3 and the game over. It hit the goalpost. Uh And they came back and they stormed us. It was unbelievable. And the goaltender's name was uh, uh, Ingo Spantek. A slap shot was taken and he had the tape on his stick, you know, when they almost put a roll of tape on the back end of a stick, of a gold stick. The shot hit that roll of tape and and it should have went in. He saved it and we won 4-3 in oh. overtime. And uh, we went, uh, I can't remember specifically how many games we went. We came home that Sunday and just crushed the team that was coming home that we had to play. And I think we won, it could have been 12 or 14 in a row. And that saved my job and that saved me from not, coming home and being just a quick statistic, and then the rest is history.
0: Oh, that's, again, uh, I just let you talk, and (laughs) the stories keep coming. What an incredible career. Congratulations on that. The last thing I want to talk about is it seems that through all of those experiences that you had as a player, as a coach, and uh, going through uh, the concussions, the depression, uh, just having an army of people helping you through this, uh, you now have channeled all of that into what's now called StopConcussions.com that you yeah. uh, founded with former NHLer Keith Primo. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, that brainchild and who does it benefit?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, I, I'm sorry, too. Sometimes uh, when I'm 63, so the journey's long. Yeah. It's got a lot of... To, uh twists, trials, and tribulations. But obviously, as I mentioned to you, I, I lost my buddy, uh, and he was a, a quad. quad. So he taught me some very valuable lessons to be to give back. My mom had already instilled that in me. So while I was over in Germany, I had the opportunity to, to have a charity named after me, Carrie's Kids, which happened to work with Ronald McDonald's House because I'd learned that through Robert's life. And there was a guy named Hans Hanna who owned a couple of McDonald's uh, in, in Lubeck, which was just outside of Timmendorf where I was playing most of my career. I got to play in some great cities. But that's where my love of running a charity, being involved with helping people that couldn't help themselves. And Ronald McDonald's House is just one of the greatest organizations when it came to that. And Hans and I became very good friends. And along the way, because I had so much time on my hands, I did these celebrity tournaments. I would get a bunch of every rock star wants to be an athlete. Every athlete wants to be a rock star. We see that with Eber and Matthews right at this particular moment. And then every business guy just wants to be either one of them and they'll pay money to do that. So these fantasy games have popped up all over the world. I was already doing it back in the the early uh, nineties where I'd get a bunch of businessmen, put a bunch of money up and they could play with some of the the local stars. Uh, Eric Kunuckle was the Wayne Gretzky of Germany. Uh, He was a stud. Uh, Everybody wanted to hang with him and they paid money for it. So I organized these uh, charity tournaments for Ronald McDonald's house and my charity called Carrie's Kids, which worked with kids that suffered from depression, the kids that lived on the street that uh, had cancer and all that stuff. And it raised a bunch of money. So back when I mentioned to you, I was still able to go back and play at 40. Um, I did a big event in Hanover, Germany with a band called Fury in the Slaughterhouse. We had a celebrity game and it was a huge success, like beyond words. And um, I had yet to start, stop concussions. So when I flew back and was forced to retire, I got involved with Barry Monroe from the Canadian American Spinal Research Organization who had a cause called Shoot for a Cure. And Shoot for a Cure was dealing with, back in the 2000s, there were a lot of issues with guys getting Men and women, boys and girls, getting cross-checked from the behind the net, uh, uh, behind the back, and going into the boards and breaking their neck, or hitting a toe pick and sliding into the boards, uh, and there were a lot of spinal cord injuries in the 2000s. And so I joined this organization, and Keith Primo and Jerome McGinley were the spokesperson for Shoot for a Cure, and the NHL had supported through all the players would sign numbers, and we would use put those numbers on back of jerseys and raise a ton of money, which now has become a huge memorabilia business and that's how i got started in the philanthropy business in canada and i got to meet a guy named ron ellis who won a stanley cup the last stanley cup for the toronto maple leafs in 1967 we won't go there about what's <laughs> going on in this city right now yeah and he became my surrogate father when i lost my dad in 2001 and i i because i was somewhat of a again, please, I'm not saying it that I'm arrogant. I was somewhat of a personality. I was somewhat a celebrity over in in Germany. The World Hockey Championships were taking place in 2001 in the city that I played in. And I realized I could use this as a launching pad for um, my charity work. So I brought... Uh, a display from the Hockey Hall of Fame with Phil Pritchard. I brought Team Canada '72 members, and we did a, a celebrity game in Hanover during the World Hockey Association's uh, uh, World Championships. And Wayne Gretzky was then to be uh, the new general manager of Team Canada, and it, they were. It was around that time when he flew over there. Uh, it was April 30th, 2001. And that's when my father was stricken with prostate cancer and was in rough shape. So I held the event. I was supposed to stay there the two weeks of the actual International Hockey World Championships, but I had to fly home. And Gretzky arrived at the airport, and I got to shake his hand and fly home. But I left Ron Ellis, Paul Anderson, uh, Peter Mahovlich, Don Ory, Rod Sealing, all in Germany with this display, Hockey Hall of Fame display, And unfortunately, I couldn't go back. And the charity was under my name, Carrie's Kids. And I knew I couldn't return. So they did it all. And that's how I got heavily involved in charity. So when I came back and was forced to retire, Ronnie Ellis introduced me to Barry Monroe. And I donated my time to the Sheep for a Cure campaign uh, early. I thought I would not have to do it because I was going to play three more years. So in 2001, uh, roughly December, I joined... The Shoot for a Cure campaign As director of hockey operations, donated time. I wasn't getting paid for a year, and that's what started me into philanthropy. And Barry Monroe has remained my friend. He's a lawyer. He's a pair. He's a quad with very limited movement of his hands. Uh, He's in a chair. And because of Robert and his relationship, it allowed me to do good and realize that I could give back more than words would say. And uh, Keith Primo then suffered his ending career in 2000 and I think it's 2004. And that's when I realized uh, there's more to this than just spinal cord. We're damaging our brain at uh, an alarming rate. There must be something more into it. And then followed Chris Nowinski from the Sports Legacy Institute at the time. Boston University was working very closely with uh, injuries when it came to uh, head injuries. And Chris Benoit when he committed suicide and uh, murdered his wife and killed his young boy, we realized there was something wrong here. And it took until 2010, when Keith and I wrote the book called Concussed, uh, that we realized that we needed to do more. And in 2011, we formed, uh, Stop Concussions was already in the background because I babysat Keith through his concussions and he and I decided that we needed to have an organization to educate people on the cause effect and consequence of the injury from a player standpoint and not from a medical standpoint. And that's when concuss kind of came, became a little bit of a Bible, opening people up to understand, you know, we were taught to suck it up, play through the pain. If it ain't broke, you played, you took a needle and you moved on, but we didn't realize you couldn't do that with the brain. And that's when it all started. Stop concussions was brought alive by Keith putting up some of his money, me putting up a little bit of money, and we said, it will eat and, and survive on its own. And I then became the uh, director of Stop Concussions. And it's now grown into a, a, a foundation. It hasn't been easy. It's still not easy. But it's an organization that stands up and says to all of us, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, a, a coach, a player, a, a, uh, a parent, a trainer, we have to take this serious. We're the, the voice for players that have suffered concussions, you got to remember, Coach Lance, and you've been around the world playing this game, uh, coaching this game. There are players that sucked it up, and shouldn't have, and we damaged their brains, and yeah. we didn't give them a longevity. Whether they committed suicide or they ended up in dementia or Alzheimer's early in life, or they abused alcohol and abused their wives or abused their kids, or even reversely those ladies suffered the same. It was owed on us as players to understand we need to educate the medical world that you taught us to suck it up. Nobody taught us that was what toughness was, to hide it. And we knew the next guy was going to take our job if we didn't hide it. And unfortunately, it cost us a lot. And so when God gave us the ability to be given children, it's up to us and the, the adults in the picture to protect them and that's what I did and that's what I do every single day uh, is my motto is the best medicine for people is people yeah. I connect dots I, I get people I'm not a, I'm not Mother Teresa I'm not a philanthropist that has deep pockets Keith and I just knew that we could open the door and get people to come to us non-judgmentally and say I'm hurting, I need help you know that kid that played in the SBHL who made $200, $300 a week after a career of 10 years, took five or six concussions and his brain was mush, we then say to him, hey, go get a job. Well, he had to battle just to figure out how his brain would work. There's hundreds of them. One happens to be Rob Frid, an, an enforcer along the way, who was just beaten up when he got out of hockey. He never was given the proper opportunity to lead a life. We owe it to them. We owe it to them as players. I got through it. I'm not unscathed. But I got through it, and I will not stop fighting for these uh, young men and women, boys and girls, and us old dudes that are going to struggle when we get older. Again, 63, I think I'm old enough. Um, I'm not going to stop until I'm, it, it's over for me. Maybe I'll go into dementia. Maybe I will not be able to remember. But until that time comes, I'm going to battle. And Stop Concussions has been that 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 podium for me to stand up and say. And there's people, Coach Lance that think I'm arrogant, think I'm egotistical. I want to be in front of a microphone. My mom gave me a gift of gab. And no, yeah, sure. I like to get read my name in the newspaper or see myself on TV. Not now because I've got the COVID-25 and that's kilo on my belly. I want to make a difference. I want to make a damn difference. And it's got to be done now, Coach Lance. So that's why stop concussions is not me. It's us. It's all those players that played in the past and in the future and playing now to rally the troops and take care of our family. You know it, I know it, that the hockey fraternity is a family. If one of our players go down, we, are, we all of us collectively, have to be there for her or him or the families to get them through very rough times. Concussions are a dark tunnel. If you don't have a light at the end of the tunnel, if you didn't have the support people that I have, drugs, alcohol never came into my life because I had people around me guiding me. But drugs and alcohol, Oxycontins would have been easy for me to pop. How many guys do we lose through that? How many guys have we lost through drugs and alcohol and abuses? How many people have killed themselves because they couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, Keith and I, that's all we are. And we will continue battling with our organization. And now we've started an organization. Along the way, we've started a preventive platform that's run by Malcolm Sutherland called Safe for Sports. We educate people on cause, effect, and consequences, how to prevent these injuries, how to understand these injuries, stop concussion as a medical. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm a, I'm a facilitator. If you're hurt, you get a hold of me. I know where to send you. And then when I lost my sister to mental health, which is a whole other chapter of life, I realized that we need to deal with mental health issues that come from concussions. You know many, Coach Lance, who have suffered and suffered in darkness. They do not need to. We can do more for them. And so Connected Mental Health is a part of our organization, which works with Scott Holler from the Uh, Shift Concussion Management Group, if you know of somebody, if the listeners know of somebody that are dealing with concussions and they have no money, we're a nonprofit organization that will take them under our wing and not judge them. Because you know what? I've been where they've been. And we will make sure that we find the proper medical people to help them, whether it be in Flin Flon, Manitoba, or Boone, Iowa, or Los Angeles, California. We will find people to help you or your loved ones. Find the proper medical help to get through this, and so thank you for the platform. This is all because of a pair of skates.
0: Wow, uh, you can just you know the the passion and the caring and giving and is just thick when you speak, Carrie. Uh, the world is is lucky to have you and your organization uh, working on this thing, educating not only players but parents, coaches, player, uh, you know, management, doctors, because there was a, an old regiment that that ran the sport of hockey and uh, things have definitely changed. So uh, we're going to wrap this up right now, my friend. I, I can't thank you enough, Carrie, for taking the time. You, you had a, an amazing career, uh, a, a blessed one, uh, though it wasn't, you're, you're top of the mountain. Uh, you definitely took advantage of an opportunity that you didn't think you were going to get and you made the most of it. And now you are just a giver. And I loved what you said that, what your mom said. And by the way, your mom and dad were pretty solid, you know, (laughs) they, they taught you well. And I know that, uh, they're, they're very proud of you, but you know, what you said that, you know, you give whatever you give, if you got a dollar, give a guy 25 cents, you're going to get that back a hundredfold. So, uh, just one more time, Carrie, can you let everyone know uh, where they can find information about concussions? I know it's something that we don't ever want to talk about, but uh, it's something that's a reality of our game. And uh, where can they learn more?
1: Yeah, listen, uh, in closing, thank you for giving this platform. Coach Lance, I know you do great work and and what you're doing and giving me a voice is is a blessing uh, on itself. Listen, you've been, uh, concussions are 24-7. They're always around us, whether you're playing sport. It doesn't know age, gender, uh, sport, activity, status. You need help. And we are here for you. You can go to stopconcussions.com. Stopconcussions.com. When you get there, it has a incredible resource for you, your loved ones, or your organization to understand we as a team will make sure that we mitigate the risk. We're not going to eliminate it. We'll mitigate the risk together. And by you giving me this platform, it certainly will help us get the voice out there.
0: Well, thank you again. Uh, If there's any, anything I can do in the future to, to help, You guys and and what you're trying to achieve, your mission, please don't hesitate to ask. I, again, thank you for taking the time. And I will put uh, all those links in the description for people. Uh, And thank you for all you do. Uh, You are a good man, Kerry.
1: Thank you so much. Well, that concludes
0: another episode of the Hockey Journey podcast. I can't thank you enough for stopping by and listening. I hope you got something positive from the interview. And if you think there's someone in your circle of family and friends that might like the episode as well, please share it with just one person. It will really help me in growing this hockey community. Again, I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, or submit a review. I hope to see you back here soon. And do me a favor, make someone close to you smile today. All the best, my friends.